Now, we've been reading and studying from the Great Commission found in Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 to 20. And we've been reading it together every Sunday. It's a really good verse to memorize. And so this morning, we'll read it together again. Starting from uh, verse 16. Let's read it together. Now, the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for your word. It's where we can find solace in the midst of a crooked world. It's also where we find a glimpse of eternity. What is it? What does it mean that you are with us? God, we want to ponder We want to meditate on that this morning. Help us, Lord, to understand, to embrace, and to be able to live out that truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, as most of you uh, would remember, uh, I've divided up this great commission that we just read into four parts. And so today we're doing the final part Uh, Number four, and behold, I'm with you always. And and to help us better grasp uh, the main points of my sermon, I've I've, uh, boiled uh, them down into statements. And so the first sermon about all authority, um, I've summarized it into this statement. Our lives can have renewed purpose because Jesus has authority over all things. And then the second week, I summarized it in this statement that our renewed purpose in Christ extends to all humanity. And then last week, we talked about how our renewed purpose is to live in and to live out all of God's Word. Okay. Today, we will look at how Jesus journeys with us as we walk in our renewed purpose. Now, at the time when Jesus instructed the disciples to go and make disciples for him, they had obviously not gone yet, right? They were still at the mountain listening to the instructions of Jesus, and Jesus was still physically with them. And so grammatically, when you think about it, Jesus would have could have been recorded to say, I will be with you always. But that's not how it's written. Instead of using future tense to say, I will be with you as you go out and make disciples of all nations, Matthew explicitly uses the present tense here. I am with you always. I am. Now this pronouncement in the present tense clearly Uh, conveys a feeling of certainty. 
Meaning as the disciples take on this renewed purpose to go and make disciples for him, he is certainly and most definitely with them on this journey. In other words, the disciples are not going to be left to themselves to serve God. And not only are they left with a great commission, but they are left with a great companion. And so are we today. Secondly, this statement by Jesus becomes even more profound if you read it in the original Greek, which I will help us to do that this morning. Now, usually it is sufficient to use just one word in Greek to say I am. And that's the word eimi, eimi, to say I am. However, in this verse, the author adds the personal pronoun for I into the sentence. And that word I in a Greek word is actually a very familiar word to us. It's ego, which is where we get the word ego, yes, which in English means a person's sense of self-esteem and self-importance. But in Greek, in the root word, it simply means I. Now to add ego with a me might sound redundant, but ego a me would roughly translate into English as I, I am, which is redundant. But this pattern of writing is not a mistake. And I brought up this slide a bit too early, but here's the answer. It appears actually in, in, in all parts of the Gospels in the Bible to emphasize Jesus' divine authority. Ego eimi is the great I am. But who is the great I am? Who is the great I am? This is where an understanding of the Old Testament scripture becomes very helpful in our understanding of the gospel. In Exodus 3, when Moses saw the burning bush and heard the voice of God speaking to him, that voice claimed to be the great I am. When Moses asked God and said, if I were to go to the Israelites whom you have called me to save, and they asked me, who is this God that has come to save us? What shall I say? God answers, I simply am. I am who I am. Now in Hebrew, it is, it is Yahweh. And in Greek, it is ego eimi. In other words, because God is eternal and uncreated, he simply is who he is. Now humans, you and I, we require names, right, to tell us apart. But because there is but one true God, and there's no one else like him, he requires no name. He simply is the one who exists. And so when we say Yahweh, when we refer to God or, or, or listens to Jesus as he calls himself, I am, that's not really a name. That's a declaration of who he is, the eternal one. So by saying, I am with you always, Jesus is not only expressing a feeling of certainty in his statement. 
He is also revealing and proclaiming his identity as a physical presence of the one true God. And because he is God, his presence is not bound by time or space, like we are bound by time and space. Jesus not only will be with his disciples, future tense, but he also is with his disciples, present tense. This was true for those who were on the mountain with Christ, but it is also true for the followers who are following him now and beyond, just as we were singing. So I don't know about this, you know, listening, the explanation of this one statement. It, it just ties in so well with the worship. And I'm just put in awe and wonder. Jesus is God with us. He is, as our church is called, Emmanuel. Jesus Messiah. Name above all names. Blessed Redeemer. Emmanuel. I can sing this forever. However, we're on this side of heaven. I understand that the concept of having God with us can be abstract, can be difficult to grasp. And so I want today's sermon to be a time where we we try to ponder and to meditate on this abstract concept together and see where God will lead us in our understanding. How can the everlasting God be with us? We're limited in our human perception to see or feel Him, and we can oftentimes be tricked by our own emotions to not realize His presence. How do we actually know that God indeed is with us? As I ponder about this, I want to lead us through into the three observations I made by looking at Scripture and into my own heart. And here are the three observations. That God reveals His presence to His people through words of encouragement and empowerment. Number two, God affirms His presence with His people using signs and wonders. And three, God impresses His presence by leading His people through the valley of the shadow of death. Let's take a look at the first observation. First, God reveals his presence to his people through words of encouragement and empowerment. Now, having read Matthew 28, verse 20 this morning, we have already come across one instance where God leaves behind such words of encouragement and empowerment for us. Jesus promises that he is with those who will Go on God's mission to make disciples of all nations. That's a firm promise. That's his word written and remained for us. This echoes back to how God called Moses to lead his people out of slavery, like we just said. And when God said to Moses, but I will be with you. Now go, therefore, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. And then again, when Joshua took up leadership after Moses died, God said to him, Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And then after settling um, into the promised land, 
to Gideon, the judge, God said again, but I will be with you. And even after Israel went into exile, God sent Jeremiah to be his prophet to the Israelites and said, do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Now, these are just some instances of where God declares his presence with his servants. Throughout the Bible, we see that God often reveals his presence through his word. We also see that the promises of God's presence is often accompanied with a call to service or a call to mission. That's my verse observation. Second one is that God affirms his presence with his people using signs and wonders. Now, right before Jesus ascended into heaven, which is after the instruction was given to disciples, Jesus told them to wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And when the Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, in Acts 2, it tells us this, that suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. And it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames of tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Then we, we, if we continue reading, we, we see that how these disciples used this new ability to proclaim the good news of Jesus to people from all corners of the world. Now, I have a friend, a really good friend. In fact, he was my best man in my wedding. His brother, his elder brother, works as a pastor and a chaplain in a Christian school in Hong Kong. And his brother once was, went on a short-term missions trip in a foreign country and he was not there for long, so he didn't learn the language. He just didn't know the language at all. But he was there to help with playing the piano just uh, during, during a worship service. And now, he was classically trained. So for those of you who have learned piano, I have not. Like classically trained pianists often are quite reliant on the score sheet to play their pieces. And, and, and that was his case. But on that day when he had to serve, there was no score sheet, and he didn't know the language, and he didn't know any of the songs that the leader was supposed to lead. And so he sat there. But somehow he shared that he was able to play all the right notes and all the right chords in leading the congregation into a unified worship. Now, I don't know about you hearing this experience, but as he shared, this experience impressed on him the power and the presence of the Spirit of God, giving him the ability to interpret, not language, but in music, of how to bring people before God. I believe these miracles and signs and wonders continue to happen today in order to bring people to Christ. Now, we see from Scripture that God often reveals His presence through His Word and then affirms His presence with miraculous signs 
and wonders. But then through this survey of Scripture, we also see that God's presence is promised to those who are called into his missional purposes to reach others with his blessings. And finally, I want to share my third observation here, is that God impresses his presence by leading his people through the valley of the shadow of death. Again, I'm put in awe of the fact that we sang about this this morning. I am in awe that the Spirit is working in us through our worship and prayer. Now, I obviously borrowed this term from Psalm 23, if you're familiar with the psalm. I will talk more about that later, what it means to be going through the valley of the shadow of death. But to illustrate this for us this morning, I want to first just share briefly about the story of Jonah. Many of you know this story. Some of you don't. So I'm just going to briefly go through it. Jonah was a prophet, a prophet in the Old Testament. And he was called by God to bring a message calling for repentance to the city called Nineveh. Okay. Nineveh was a capital city of Assyria. And Assyria was the empire uh, at, at that day, at those days, that destroyed Israel. So let me rephrase that. God has called Jonah to go to the capital of the enemies to proclaim a message of repentance so that they will not be destroyed. If you were Jonah, would you go? Well, Jonah refused to go. In fact, he went the opposite direction. And while he was traveling at sea, a great storm came. And Jonah admitted to his shipmates, people who were on the ship with him, that he was running away from his God. And so his shipmates threw him overboard, and immediately the storm stopped. It ended. When Jonah was in the sea, the Bible tells us that he was swallowed up by a great fish, where he spent three days and three nights in the belly of a fish. And it was there inside the fish, Jonah began to see his brokenness. God ordered the fish to spit him out, and there God again called him to preach to Nineveh. And he responded. He went and he preached, and to his surprise, the whole city repented, and God forgave the city's evil and did not destroy them. But it is then that we read that Jonah was not delighting in God's saving grace. He didn't want the residents of Nineveh to be saved. He became angry at God for being merciful and compassionate to the enemies of Israel. What a weird story to be found in the Bible. A servant of God called by him to do his work, and unwillingly he did it, and at the end, he was still angry and unrepentant. In this story, we see that a prophet being reluctant to follow God's purpose for him. And at times, he was outright disobedient. And then even when he was obedient, his heart desires were not aligned with God. Yet, yet, God was with Jonah. God was with Jonah. Throughout his entire missional journey, God spoke to him, 
course corrected him with the use of a storm and a giant fish. And God listened to his prayers and even engaged with him in the midst of his whining and his angry fits. God was with him. And I'm going to share a bit about my, my own story. Many of you know that I, I am in the process of pursuing a master's degree in, in divinity. And over the years, many of you have regularly um, encouraged me and prayed for me. And for that, I, I'm deeply, deeply grateful. And some of you have told me uh, up front that you find it incredible how I'm able to re remain sane with the amount of work I'm putting in and while having a family of two kids and having a church to shepherd. Not to admit, it's not easy. And that is why I'm so grateful for your encouragement and prayers. Well, the last time I had studied for a degree uh, was around a decade ago. And back then, I had just landed in a relatively stable job. Some of you know what that job was. Some of you actually was there with me. Um, and I just got married, and there was a kid uh, coming as well. And things in life were progressing better than I had hoped at that point. And I had then decided to, well, why don't I top it up, make it even better? Go get a master's degree, and then automatically get a raise. That was my plan. It was not sinister or evil, it's just a simple plan. So I applied, I got in, I began the studies part-time, and soon my first daughter was born. On the second day I had my classes, and for the first time in my life, I felt like my life wasn't mine. I've given my life to someone I have yet to know. And parenthood was much more demanding than I thought, and very soon my second came, and in the midst of that, my brother had also died in a diving accident. Oh man, those years, the stress was immense. And furthermore, due to even more unforeseen family circumstances, our finances became extremely, extremely tight. But all the while I thought, okay, God was going to make a way. He's going to make a way for me. And that way was that I will graduate and I will get my raise. That was the way that I thought God was leading me to. Eventually, I did graduate, but because of the slight delay in timing, um, my raise was not going to come until the next financial year, says my workplace. Okay, it's just a bit of waiting. I can do that, I thought. But as that financial year came to a close, I was laid off. And that season for me felt like I was Jonah being stuck in the belly of a great fish. It felt humbling. Everything I thought I could hold on to for security was stripped away from me, chunk by chunk. And I felt naked and bare before God. It also felt disgusting. It felt disgusting. But instead of smelling fishy, like I would if I were in a fish belly, it smelled like a complex flavor of anger, jealousy, and a lot of shame. 
a lot of shame. And like Jonah, I found myself deep in my brokenness, not knowing what to think, say, do. And I found myself searching for meaning. And just like Jonah's case, God was there. God was there with me. In fact, he was all along there with me. How do I come to understand this? Now, inspired by Jonah's story, I'm going to illustrate this journey of God's presence with a curve for now I call the giant fish belly curve. So imagine this curve underneath the fish belly. God was there when I was on my way to the bottom of the belly, moving down, a place where it stinks, a place where all the dirty stuff collects and settles. Definitely not a place where I want to be. But then on my way down to the pit of the belly, I found myself thinking, oh, I can do this. I can do this. I'm going to work my, my, myself out of this drop into the belly's tummy. I'm just going to have to work a little harder. At this stage, working hard becomes my primary objective. And trusting God and obeying God becomes maybe a little later, secondary. But when I finally reach the belly's bottom, in that season of my life, when there was nothing I could do to make things better, I found myself asking, what and who was I living for? What was I actually pursuing in life? And did they really matter? And I found myself yearning to God in my prayers. Lord, what am I missing? What am I not seeing? And what do you want to show me in this brokenness? What do you want to show me in this brokenness? It then took years, no doubt. But once I saw that the season of life was full of God's grace, I saw how perhaps in my stubbornness and ignorance, I was deviating from God's will in my years of pursuing the things in life. Now, in Jonah's case, he valued his own righteousness, thinking that, you know, these enemies do not deserve saving. He valued his own righteousness over God's desire to show mercy and compassion. And perhaps in hindsight, in my case, after many years of pondering on this, I, I see how I valued comfort and stability over God's call for me to make disciples for his kingdom. Now, coming out of this pit, this belly bottom, this, this pain was not easy, but it happened. It happened. What helped me was still, and it was, the gospel of Jesus. Jesus died, and after three days, he rose again. He died, and he rose again. And I'm grateful that God brought me early on into this dying process, so I can experience the joy of having renewed purpose in life now. Oh, 
I'm thankful for the pain, in other words. Thank God for that pain. My story is still developing, obviously. I'm still living among you. But I let, I, as I let God's renewed purpose replace my own, I'm finding that my definition of success, my definition of honor, my definition of what it means to work hard to be transforming. For example, I, I used to see success as getting things done and receiving a, a reward at the end, a reward that I deserve. I now increasingly see success as seeing people's lives transformed or their perspectives renewed by the Word of God and being able to delight in knowing Him. That has more eternal significance than the reward I gain from working hard. I now see that working hard is only good if it is done to the extent of fulfilling God's will. Oftentimes, Resting and surrendering my efforts are more pleasing to God because it is my restfulness, it is in my restfulness that I declare my faith that God is in control. So I now often say to God, I am here. I am simply recognizing your presence with me. What do you want me to do? What is your will for my life? Jesus declares to his followers, look, I'm always with you. I'm always with you until the end of age. This presence with us transcends time and space. And it is not a matter of when or when, sorry, when or where. He is with those who belong to him. At the same time, he is not unaware or unsympathetic with our human limitations. We are limited in our ability to perceive things beyond our senses. Perhaps we become weary when we cannot see, when we're blind. We lose our sense of balance when we cannot touch or we cannot feel His presence. And while we are prone to wander away from or forget God's faithful presence with us, He uses words of encouragement and empowerment, propelling us to do great things no doubt, achieving great tasks for him. And sometimes to the extent of using miraculous signs and wonders to affirm his presence. However, God's presence with us is never just limited to those moments of victory or moments of satisfaction. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, the psalmist says for you are with me. Even when we are plunged into seasons of despair, into seasons of darkness, of confusion, of disappointment, of suffering, or even when we find ourselves in the guts, in the slimy, nasty, stinky guts of a giant beast, we are called to remember this church, that God is with us. And it is a journey that he is leading us through. The good news of Jesus isn't just about how we convert into becoming a Christian or follower of Jesus, and then boom, we land in heaven. 
The Spirit of God is with us in that process. We are in that process. In the journey of uh, transforming and redeeming His world, we are called to participate in that with God. That's where we can find our joy in this journey. But unless, unless you have journeyed with God or that you are journeying with God through the valley of the shadow of death and have experienced what it means to be plunged into death with Jesus and then be renewed through the power of His resurrection, it would be difficult it would be difficult for us to truly celebrate his presence with us. Today's story of mine is just one small journey through this valley or this fish belly. It's just one of many of these belly curves in my life. There will be and there has been many more. My hope is that I will one day know God fully just as he fully knows me. And on this journey, I in, that I'm able to invite others with me to discover God together, to know God, to celebrate the faithful presence of God. That's all I can hope for. That's the renewed purpose for all of us. But how that would play out, what your belly curve would look like, oh, that's an exciting journey for you <laughs> and for me to hear from you one day. So today, I just, uh, as I invite the worship team back up and just want us to, to meditate and think about what's been, what's been listened, uh, what's been heard this morning. We've stepped into a new year. Uh, we're almost at the end of January. And we're uh, about to step into uh, the year of this giant beast we call dragon. Another giant beast. Let us hold fast to this promise from God. He is with us. Look, God can and has revealed to you and me His presence through His word of encouragement and empowerment. And when you embark, when you and I embark on this journey that He has called you and me into, He can and still We'll affirm it through signs and wonders. Look out for them. But as his presence made a lasting impression in your life, has it made a lasting impression in your life? Has his presence been transforming your life? So what if God leaves his word for us today? And so what if miracles happen if we do not be transformed in him? Where in your journey, through the valley of the shadow of death or the fish belly, are you today? Are you in one of these valleys, belly curves today? Let's take some time in meditation and prayer.
Lord, I come. And I confess that when we bow near, when we bow before your throne of grace, that is where we can find rest. Lord, we really wouldn't know who we are unless we know who you are. We wouldn't really have any lasting purpose in life unless we receive and accept the renewed purpose that you've prepared for each of us. To be extensions of your love in this world. To bring hope, to bring peace, to bring forgiveness, to bring reconciliation into a world that deeply needs it. But before we can do that, Lord, we need to submit ourselves to you, to your authority, trusting that it is you who will lead us through trusting that it is your name that we will proclaim, trusting that it will be you who will lead us into eternal victory. And in this journey of ours, show us and reveal to us what we need to die to. It is, our, is it our pride? It is, is it our own philosophies? It is, is it our wealth? Lord, the worth, the sense of worth and acceptance from you will surpass anything that we can give ourselves or anything that this world can give us. And so we surrender to you. We look forward to a year where, God, you will transform our hearts to be more like you, Jesus. In your name I pray, amen.